Welcome to Megan Meets, a podcast hosted by me, Megan Scully, in association with Salt Float and Recovery Suites. Ireland's first dedicated natural health spa, offering flotation therapy, infrared and traditional Finnish saunas, contrast therapy, and no contact compression massage and more. Salt is located two minutes from the M6 motorway on the outskirts of Galway City, and they stock a wide range of Irish health and wellness products. Take time to look after you this year at Salt, experts in holistic wellness. Keep listening for special offer at the end. In the first series, I'll be exploring health and wellness and each guest will be chatting to me about the work they do. You'll learn more about alternative healing methods, health, happiness, and so much more. Get involved by using the hashtag MeganMeets. Hit subscribe and share the love with friends and family or those who you feel could benefit from the health and wellness topics and methods discussed. I've been very excited about having you on my podcast, Patrick McKeown. You're very welcome. Thanks very much. Great to be here, Megan. Now, I want to get straight into it. You are a Mike Cullen man, and I'm very familiar with that area myself because I spent a few years living in Spiddle, and I actually spent a summer living down in Knock Ferry, and I have family out in Mike Cullen, so I, I know your neck of the woods, fellow Galwegian. But I want to get straight into it because I've been doing some of my research, and I want to know um, a bit of background. So I know you studied economics in Trinity. But what brought you to become a breathing practitioner? And I have to say, I just think this is so fascinating. But do tell us, what brought you from, from economics to breathing? Yeah, it's, it's one of those career choices, you know. It's not something that your, your career counsellor advised you to do when you're going through <laughs> secondary school. Um, I just came across it because of my own health and having asthma, mm-hmm. having sleep disorder, breathing, but also having... I suppose I didn't realize I was a little bit highly strung and poor concentration very much stuck in my head as well. And, you know, I can always think back when I was going through secondary school and into university that it took me a lot of work to get grades. And even though when I was in primary school, I was doing pretty well, something happened when I, when I went into secondary school. And it was only afterwards, when I was reading a newspaper in about 1997, 1998, I read the work of a Russian doctor, and in the article he spoke about two things. He spoke about the importance of breathing light and breathing in and out through the nose. And I started adopting that into my own life, and I found it made a profound difference in my sleep, waking up alert. I hadn't. I remember the second night waking up in the morning after having my mouth taped, and I just woke up feeling as if I had the best night's sleep than I had in the previous 15 years. And I was in the corporate world, and Megan, I have to say, absolutely hated it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able for it. I didn't like the pressure that was put on top of me by head office. And I didn't like the pressure that I had to put on the staff underneath me. And I felt that it was almost as if we were, we were pawns that were manipulated solely by technology, and that technology was here to keep us in control. That on one hand, we were told that we, are, we were to be creative and innovative, and um, on the other hand, we were totally controlled by technology. So the speak that we were getting was not necessarily what, what I was seeing in practice. Now, I stayed in it for three years because it wasn't my background. And I did do business economics and social studies and TCD. But then I was driving from Galway to Navan one day. And I just got a sense that I wanted to change careers and teach breathing. And I made that was it. Um, by Monday, my mind was made up. Now, it was kind of a mad decision because I had no background. <laughs> I had no capital. 
I started off at five thousand pounds at the time. Yeah, it was five thousand euro actually because it was just two thousand and two. Um, no, it was pounds just before that. And um, yeah, thankfully it's been it's been a wonderful career. So we have our twentieth year anniversary now coming up in March the seventeenth. So I opened up in March the seventeenth in two thousand and two. Wow. Twenty years later, we were talking today. I have to say, and that's what I find so interesting about the guests I've had on so far. You know what? Everyone has, was in the corporate world and realized this is not where I want to be. And I think a lot of people listening who maybe are in a job the Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and realize this is not what I want. I hope that they'll get some inspiration from, from the guests that I've had on. Um, I mean, you have so many books out. I'd say it's eight and counting was the last I saw, but I feel like I'm an author myself. And I think you're never, you never really stop writing books. And that's actually where I first came across your name was I was in Salt and my book um, and your book are side by side on the counter, Atomic Focus. And I was like, started reading the book. I said, oh my God, this is amazing. And then as I started to research you more, I was like, so proud that my book was beside your book. And I was like, this is amazing. That's why I was saying, I had to get you on to talk more about the breathing. And I want to touch a bit on, um, I want to talk more. So I know you've done a lot of work around athletes and top athletes, but I want to talk maybe about the kind of everyday breathing that we, we all should be doing. Because I was actually listening to another podcast that you were on while I was driving and I found myself in the car. I was like, breathing through my nose because you were talking about the importance of that and I was there driving going, oh my god have I been breathing wrong my whole life so you're almost two decades now in this field so maybe for those who don't know because as I said we all wake up we breathe well we breathe all the time so our body just does it naturally but I suppose a lot of us are, could be doing it wrong so maybe explain more to us about the importance of breathing and why it's so vital to our everyday life I think we'll all remember situations that we might have been feeling stressed or we might have been feeling fatigued or we want to stop regulating things like that you can do that through your breathing but the issue is that it often flies in the face of what's traditionally being taught in yoga and pilates and different modalities I remember I'll give you this example I remember I was um, going into an exam hall in doing for one of my finals back in 1996-97 I was pretty anxious going in because I was a fast upper chest breather anyway. And if you breathe that way, you're going to be a little bit more in that kind of stress response. And I had read this book about the importance of taking these full big breaths. Mm -hmm. Typically what you see, you see it on YouTube, etc. I took a walk for about two minutes before the exam. And during the two minutes, I took these full big breaths. And I walked into the exam hall and I was absolutely out of my head. I was lightheaded. Um, I couldn't get composure and it took me a while for everything to settle down. I never realized at the time that I was already a chronic overbreather and I shouldn't have been, been breathing more air, I should have been breathing less air. So when one has a habit of having nasal obstruction or a stuffy nose, you're more likely to mouth breathe. Yeah. When you have a stuffy nose and you mouth breathe during sleep, you're two to three times more likely to have a sleep problem. When you're mouth breathing, you're more likely to breathe using the upper chest and to breathe faster and shallow. And this puts the body and mind into an increased sympathetic state or an increased stress response. So earlier on, I spoke that when I was in secondary school, I keep on thinking about high school. Most of my podcasts I do are in the United States. So um, when I was in secondary school, I really had a hard time in secondary school and in university, and it could have been so much easier. And I left school at 14 years of age, never to go back. I never wanted to set foot in school again at 14 years of age. Just as it happens, life can direct you in different ways. I went back at 15 and I was, I was pretty driven, but I had, you know, I would be looking at the page 
but my eyes were directed towards the page of a book. My, my attention wasn't there. Yeah. And I really feel that, you know, all of that frustration and how many kids are in the same situation, but how many people in the corporate world and all walks of life. And, you know, we, I work with pretty high level people and you'd be so surprised. You think that some people will have it and they don't necessarily have it in terms of physiology and health and ability to change states. And I think that's the big one with the breath. Number one is that taking this full deep breath is not what you need to do if you're feeling stressed. That's straight off the bat. Okay. Number two, if you improve your everyday breathing patterns, you can make yourself more resilient. Number three, if you want to activate a stress response of the body, it's not the inhalation or the breath in, but it's the exhalation. If you breathe out hard and fast, you'll stress the body and mind. So say, for example, if you have an individual breathing in, they could breathe in fast, breathe out fast, or they could breathe in slow and breathe out fast. It's the speed of the exhalation that communicates from the body up to the brain, whether the individual is in a stress response or whether you want to stress the body and mind. Now, conversely, if we want to bring a feeling of relaxation to the body and mind, it's not the inhalation, it's the exhalation. And if we have a very soft, gentle breath coming into the nose and a very relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation, just by prolonging that exhalation, the information is communicated from the body up to the brain and the brain interprets that the body is safe and the brain will send signals of calm. And I think even this, Megan, is so, so simple. And talking about, you know, I was working with a premiership footballer two days ago and changing states going out onto a pitch. So you can imagine the pressure he's under. Now you would think, as I'm so, I suppose everybody thinks is when, thinks when they're watching television that all of these guys, they have everything off and they know everything right and they have everything perfect. And that's not the case because breathing has been overlooked. And the ideas about breathing, when often taught, have been, you know, misinterpreted and I was talking you know about him like how can you change your states that when you want to upregulate you can upregulate when you want to downregulate you want to downregulate and it's a great capacity to have and also when you're getting into a difficult situation don't respond with harder and faster breathing because that's typically how we respond and in the book that you mentioned earlier on I took a, a few sentences from a podcast by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee he was talking with a brain surgeon called Dr. Rahul in May of 2021. And Dr. Rahul said, he said, the first thing I do when I get into a tricky situation is prevent myself from hyperventilating. And I was thinking to myself, this is brilliant, you know, this is exactly where it's at. But the good doctor knows it, but nobody else seems to know it. Why doesn't the kid in school know this? Why doesn't the university student know it and the corporate worker know it? Why doesn't the everyday person know it? Because we all get into difficult situations every now and again. How do we respond? We typically respond with that faster breathing and upper chest breathing. And when we're breathing like that, the body is telling the brain that the body is under threat. And all the brain wants to do in that situation is to get you the hell out of there as quick as you can. It's not a time for sitting down. It's not a time for decision making. It's not a time for planning. It's a time for fleeing. So when we're in a difficult situation, if we have a habit of bringing our attention onto the breath, so you see the situation out in front of you, and if you can bring your attention inwards and take a very soft breath in through your nose, 
and have a really, really relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. What that will do is that will calm the body and mind. And it will calm the body and mind that you are more composed to make a decision. Now, it's, you know, every walk of life is using breathing practices to some degree at the moment. It's starting to get out there. The last three years, I've seen a monumental shift in it. Um, and like I often give the example of special weapons and tactics, and we've worked with their instructors. They are going into a difficult situation. And I had a podcast with a police trainer in the United States called Roger, Roger Rouge there about 10 days ago. And he gave me this example. He says, you can imagine, he says, cops are going to a scene and they're driving at, he gave the example of driving at 100 miles per hour. You're already ramped up. Your heart rate is speeded up. Your breathing is speeded up. You haven't even got to the situation yet. You haven't even came across the situation and you're already in that hypervigilance. And when we are overly stressed, we're liable to make mistakes. Yeah. So when we think of then first responders who are making mistakes and there's so much blame putting on the individuals, we have to con consider the stress response of that human being. And this is where breathing was seen as so airy-fairy and woo-woo. And it kind of was too left of field. You know, it was something that was done by the guys with robes and beads and going around with the open sandals and all of that stuff. You know, tree huggers. Not that there's anything wrong with tree huggers. But breathing is not for left of field. Breathing is for the people. And I would say if, I, if there was something that I would have loved to have learned when I was in secondary school and university, the most important thing was the ability to breathe through my nose during sleep, mm -hmm. breathe through my nose during wakefulness, but also to slow down my breathing to the point of a slight air hunger at different times during the day. Because I remember when I first practiced this back in 1997-98, I practiced it for two to three minutes and I could feel increased watery saliva in the mouth. But the biggest effect that I noticed was that my hands got warmer. I always had cold hands and feet. And it is normal that people who have dysfunctional breathing patterns have cold hands and cold feet. Because if we breathe a little bit too hard yeah. and a little bit too fast and with an open mouth, what happens is our blood vessels constrict and there's less oxygen delivered throughout the body. So let's look at breathing techniques that are telling people that the harder you breathe, the more oxygen that's delivered. It is the greatest load of nonsense and it is completely false. All you have to do is look at normal physiology and I'm not claiming to know everything about breathing. I tell you far from it. It is such a complex subject, but there is one curve that was known and one effect known since 1903 called the Bohr effect, that the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood is a catalyst for the release of oxygen from red blood cells to the tissues. If we want to improve oxygen delivery to the tissues and organs, the object objective should be to breathe normal and even to breathe less air, not to breathe more. So fascinating. It's absolutely incredible. I feel like as I'm listening to you here, I'm conscious of my breathing. <laughs> One thing as well I want to touch on was I know you were an asthma sufferer yourself. And I think people listening, you know, we all know people with asthma and hay fever. And I actually have a lung deficiency myself now. It's, it's hereditary. Um, so I've always been very fascinated, especially I think since I guess March 2020, 
about lungs and keeping our lungs healthy. So that's why I was so excited to get you on and uh, to chat more about it. You know, I found I um, have a friend who's a physio and she did some Pilates with me that were specifically designed to strengthen your breathing and your lung capacity because of the whole COVID situation. And then I remember my mum rang me up and she's like, apparently breathing or blowing up balloons is also really good exercise. So my poor housemates, as the time went on, there was just more and more balloons popping up around the apartment because I was like, well, I have to keep my lungs strong. So I think maybe just because of efficiency, I have maybe a little bit more awareness around my lungs, and my breathing. But as I mentioned there with the um, with the asthma, tell us about your own story about how you overcame asthma. Yeah, it was, again, it was solely by accident. It was something that I remember as a kid and I always had, I wasn't necessarily coughing, but I was squeezing continuously and a feeling of chest tightness. I was a chronic mouth breather because it's very common if you have an issue with your lungs that you'll also have an issue with your nose. That's normal because it's one airway and your lungs and your, your nose is linked. That day when I came across the article, I went back into TCD that week and I looked online. The internet was in its infancy and I found an, an exercise to decongest the nose and it goes as follows. You don't do this if you're pregnant. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold your nose and gently nod your head up and down, holding your breath. So you're gently nodding your head up and down, yes. holding your breath and continue holding your breath until you feel a moderate to strong air hunger. And then let go, but breathe in through your nose. And if you do a breath hold after a normal exhalation until you feel a moderate to strong air hunger, that will open up the nose and it's known since 1923. With better nasal breathing, then, there's a gas in the nose called nitric oxide, and nitric oxide is antiviral and antibacterial. Nitric oxide also helps to redistribute the blood throughout the lungs, but it's a bronchodilator as well. So when we think about the mouth and the nose in terms of the human lungs, the mouth has no role what to play, no role whatsoever to play. There is no function in the mouth that is devoted exclusively to breathing. The nose is the only organ in the human body. Now, Ireland, we have about a half a million people with asthma. Yeah. And there is very little information put out there about the, the importance of nasal breathing. But I would say that in my experience of working with thousands of people in this country, that if individuals switch from mouth to nose breathing during rest and physical exercise and also during sleep, that they would reduce their asthma symptoms by about 30% in about two to three weeks. Now, that is so simple, and I'm, I'm not making a claim here to cure asthma. Yeah. But nasal breathing isn't is sufficient. Now, you spoke earlier on about improving respiratory muscle strength. If you breathe through your nose, the nose as well is creating a resistance to your breathing that's 2.5 times that of the mouth. And by creating a resistance to your breathing, it's actually adding an extra load onto the diaphragm. So I don't think it is necessary to be blowing up balloons. I think what's important is to be breathing in and out through the nose. And if we are breathing through the nose, we also have better recruitment of the diaphragm. So for example, I'll always say to students, look down at your chest. And as you look down at your chest, take the breath in through the mouth. When you breathe through your mouth, you're activating the upper chest. But if we think of the human lungs, the greatest concentration of blood is in the lower lobes. Yeah. So does it make sense to be breathing mouth fast and shallow because there's so much air wasted to dead space? But we're also taking cold, dry, unfiltered air directly into the airways. And when we take cold, dry air into the airways, it can cause inflammation of the airways and narrowing of the airways. When the person then with breathing difficulties, when they're feeling that their airways are narrow, 
They feel that they aren't getting enough air. What do they do to compensate? But they breathe harder and faster. Mm. And their harder and faster breathing will feed back into their airway and airway. So asthma and other complaints involving the lungs, it's often involving a vicious circle that the, feed, the, feed, the symptoms feed in on themselves. Now, you know, breathing gets very understudied because you can't make money from it, genuinely. You know, if, if breathing promised millions and millions and millions of dollars of profit, I can guarantee you there would be so much research and so many papers, but it doesn't. It's, it's a very labor intensive. Um, you can get all of the exercises free. We've put them up there anyway on YouTube. You can buy a book for 12 or 13 euro and you get everything in it anyway. But I'll give you a couple of examples. I've been involved in about five, four to five clinical trials directly or indirectly. And the first clinical trial looking at asthma was using the Buteco method. Using the Buteco method was in 1994. It was published in 1998. They looked at 40 people um, in total in that clinical trial. It was double-blinded, randomized control trial. They split them into two groups. 20 people went into Buteco group and 20 people did the in-house hospital program at the Manor Hospital in Brisbane. That was the control group. At 12 weeks follow-up, which is three months, the Buteco group had 70% less symptoms, 90% less need for bronchodilator and 49% less need for steroids. But the in-house hospital program, who probably were learning physiotherapy, had 0% change. And you, you will see this paper. Now, this, of course, isn't a criticism of the in-house hospital program. But what I am saying is this. What was taught in the Buteco methods that got the people with asthma results? Number one, continuous nasal breathing during wakefulness, rest, physical exercise and sleep. Number two, breathe light to normalize breathing volume. Basically, what we're saying is that if you have a breathing difficulty, don't breathe mouth fast and shallow because that's going to feed into your symptoms. Does it make sense that throughout our evolution as human beings, whether it's happened over millions of years, that the human nose is the only organ that serves any function when it comes to the breath? And if you were to open up any, any medical textbook and ask, what does the mouth do when it comes to the breath? And the answer is zilch. It is a hole. That's all it is. And it was something that our ancestors used for an emergency. It wasn't something that is used, modern, modern person using it, you know, chronically, chronic mouth breathers. Absolutely fascinating. As you mentioned, like, why don't we should be learning about this stuff all through our school and education? Patrick, I want to go on to um, something that you've mentioned a few times and it's something that you've created that I have seen actually um, in SALT as well and um, you mentioned tape. Now I know the tape is really important as you said to help with nasal breathing and I see a lot of people have been using it for sleeping and have found that it's helped with like snoring or as you mentioned congestion as well. So I guess everything you said there is you just said you know the, the mouth is literally just a hole it's the nose that we need to be using. So how did the tape come about? I know you mentioned when you were, you were younger you tried out the tape yourself, but um, and how you came to develop it? Yeah, there's different tapes on the market. Like I started using 3M one-inch micropore tape. It's 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 a, just a paper tape that you buy in any chemist, and that's what I was using for many many years. But working with children, we were always presented with a situation: how can we get kids breathing through the nose? Because if it's really vitally important for them, 
There was a study by Karen Bonnock that was done in Stratford-upon-Avon. It was published in the Journal of Pediatrics in 2012. And she looked at 11,000 British school kids over a six-year period. And she concluded that if children have sleep disorder breathing at age five, and if it's untreated, they have a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. And the reason being, and you'll see it in our paper, and I can send it on to you, is that during the formative years, the child's brain is developing. And in order for the brain to develop, the child needs deep sleep. But if the child is snoring or if they're stopping breathing or if there's resistance to breathing, they keep continuously get aroused from this deep sleep. So they have lighter sleep. And this can impact brain development. Another aspect of working with children, especially internationally, is that many dentists and orthodontists internationally are aware of the importance of nasal breathing because it directs the growth of the jaws. I was a chronic mouth breather. And because when you're a chronic mouth breather, you don't have the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. And if the tongue isn't resting in the roof of the mouth, the jaws tend to be narrow. And when the jaws are narrow and V-shaped, then you have overcrowding of teeth, but you also have a high narrow palate. You have a narrower facial structure, a narrower airways, jaws are set back, and you're more prone to sleep disorders for the rest of your life. So getting children breathing through the nose was paramount, but how do we do it? We couldn't necessarily just be taping across <laughs> their lips during sleep. And that's why we came up with the, the myotape. So I came up with that about two years ago, and it's been phenomenal. You know, it's, it's um, in terms of the reach that it's had internationally has been amazing, you know. And we're based in Mycullen, and 98% of our work is outside of Ireland. We do mm. nothing here in Ireland. So that's why probably nobody has ever heard, you know, very few people will have heard of us here. Um, we have about a 1,000 instructors across 50 countries. And, you know, it's really great because I think especially for children, because I was one of those kids. And I spoke at so many, you know, talks as well. In order for any child to achieve a good education, they need to be able to concentrate and they need to have a decent attention span. But in order to be able to concentrate and have an attention span, you need to have deep sleep and you need to have functional breathing. And when I was going through school, I had none of these. I had lousy sleep because I was chronically nasally obstructed. I was a mouth snore, hard breather, upper chest breather. So my sleep quality was very poor. And not only that, but my breathing, because it was fast and shallow, I was more likely to be in that increased sympathetic drive. So my mind was all over the place and I was stuck in my head all the time. And that's also a recipe for increased stress and racing minds. And I never considered myself having anxiety, but most definitely I had an inability to concentrate. And it comes back to this. Education is demanding that the kid is able to concentrate, but education does not teach us how to concentrate. Who was teaching these kids how to concentrate? Nobody. And mindfulness doesn't work for the very person who needs it the most. Yeah. And I talk about that from the experience of working with thousands of people with panic attack, panic disorder, and anxiety. That if they have poor sleep, and if their biochemistry is off, or their biomechanics is off in terms of breathing, they're going to have... They're going to have um, you know, a breathing problem that's feeding into their symptoms that's not getting addressed by cognitive behavioral therapy. In other words, mindfulness and CBT is targeting specifically what they're targeting, but they are not targeting dysfunctional breathing patterns. 
and yet 75% of that population have dysfunctional breathing, and that's according to the literature. So I think, Megan, in a whole, you know, it really is important, and I would say to anybody, is never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. That's absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. If you're waking up with a dry mouth in the morning, it's not just resulting in a lighter sleep, but it's also affecting dental health. Mouth breeders were more likely to have bad breath, were more likely to have gum disease, dental cavities, but even colouring of the teeth. Now, dentists know this, but unfortunately, there's not so many dentists in Ireland that know it. There are a few, though. Dr. Tony O'Connor down in Ballon Colleague in Cork. Mm-hmm. Um, there's others in Cork. Um, I can't always remember the names of di- different dentists. There's Andrew Hatterall in Northside Shopping Centre in Dublin. And there's certainly a few dentists that absolutely get this. And these dentists and orthodontists, when they're working with their kids, they're not just extracting teeth. They want to develop the jaws and the face because they understand that development of the jaws and the face will help to open up the airway for the child so that the airway has got decent sleep for the rest of their life. So another aspect is, any parents who are listening to this, if you're going to an orthodontist, and if the orthodontist is saying we need to extract two or four teeth, I would really encourage you to get a second opinion and seek out a functional orthodontist. Should you have two or four teeth extracted to make room for existing teeth? What happens when you have two teeth extracted? The mouth is made smaller. There's not enough room for the tongue. And if there's not enough room for the tongue in the mouth, where is the tongue going to go but back into the airway? So it can increase the risk of sleep disorder breathing for the rest of one's life just to have that smile. You don't need to have your teeth extracted to have a nice smile. I, uh, I had train tracks as a child. Um, I had teeth extracted. Um, everything you're saying here, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that was me. And even this morning when I woke up, I actually ch- tested and checked to see if my mouth was dry because I heard in a previous podcast that you'd said that. Also, what I found really fascinating that you mentioned about the cold feet and hands, because I always have to wear socks in bed because I'm just, my feet are always cold. And if I was to get up in the middle of the night or anything, come back in, I feel like I'm freezing. So I find that actually fascinating now that you've said that. So now maybe I'm going to work on that from from now on. And as well, what you, me- you mentioned with anxiety and panic attacks, in my early 20s, I feel like panic attacks were part of my daily life. And as you mentioned, I like I wasn't sleeping well, I wasn't eating well, I wasn't looking well like even my friend said to me they could could see that I was not in a good way and I knew at the time that meditation and would really help me and I know when I used to have severe panic attacks that whoever was around me would work on my breathing to to get me back and it's only now in the last few years that I've really taken to meditation and but I probably when I needed it most I wasn't doing it whereas now I'm doing it and I realized every guided meditation I do opens up with breathing techniques and that's how we start and sometimes I do them at night and I'd say I get about five or ten minutes and I'm gone, sleep. And I know it's completely from the breathing because the breathing just relaxes me head to toe. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I would agree. You know, and I, I'm not going to say it is a cure-all, but I really think that it, it has got a tremendous application. We, we use this, a, it's a very simple technique for people with insomnia to downregulate before sleep because... Very often, if the mind is racing or if we've had a bad day, we're ruminating on thoughts and it's difficult enough to fall asleep because the mind is so so active. So how do you downregulate? And it was the same exercise that I did to help improve the temperature of my fingers back 20-whatever years ago. I sat, I was sitting on a chair and I put just one hand on my chest and one hand just above my navel. And I paid attention to my breathing 
And I really slowed down the speed of the breath coming into the nose, almost till I wasn't breathing at all. And to have a really, really slow and relaxed and a gentle exhalation. But the whole purpose is that I was breathing so softly and so slowly that I was taking less air into my body. So I was deliberately breathing less air to the point that I felt air hunger. Now the air hunger is not because your oxygen has dropped. The air hunger is because carbon dioxide has increased. And as carbon dioxide is increasing in your blood, your blood vessels dilate. Now carbon dioxide also plays a role in panic disorder because traditionally people used to breathe in and out of a brown paper bag when they were having a panic attack. So what was happening there was that the individual was getting into an acute state of hyperventilation. They had an overwhelming feeling of suffocation. There's a huge fear response to it. And they breathe harder and faster, which in turn is blowing off too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs. And this is causing reduced blood flow to the brain. So by breathing in and out of a paper bag, it trapped carbon dioxide to bring that back into the lungs to increase it in the blood to increase blood flow to the brain. Now, I would say don't use a paper bag. Any person who's feeling acute hyperventilation immediately cup their hands around their face like so. Because by cupping your hands almost as if it's a mask, yeah. you're going to pull carbon dioxide in the hands, but you're also getting plenty of oxygen in through your fingers. Ah. So you need oxygen come into your fingers, but you also want to pull carbon dioxide. And even though it's difficult and one is feeling suffocated, not to breathe fast and shallow, because if you breathe fast and shallow, most of the air that you are breathing in, or at least a significant proportion of it, stays in what's called dead space. And it doesn't get into the small little air sacs in the lungs for gas exchange to take place. So there's different strategies. And I think, Megan, you know, anybody who's working with the breath or playing with the breath, understand that, that breathing is more complex than just taking this deep breath. Or, and what, what does it mean? Like, and, you know, it's, say, for example, if I'm looking at breathing, I look at it from a biochemical point of view, first of all. To breathe less air to increase carbon dioxide, that has a stimulating, well, it has a calming effect because it's stimulating the vagus nerve. This nerve that's wandering throughout the human body, when it's stimulated, it secretes the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. This causes a slowing of the heart and the brain then interprets that the body is calm. That's known since 1913. None of this information is new. But also when you breathe less air, you help to open up the airways and blood vessels. And you also cause what's called a right shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. But in short, when you breathe less air, there's increased carbon dioxide in the blood. Hemoglobin, which is the main carrier of oxygen, releases oxygen more readily. Now, from another point of view, from a biochemical point of view, there's, there's a wave of breathing exercise where people are hyperventilating. And they're hyperventilating for 30 big breaths. And what's that doing? That, that is getting rid of so much carbon dioxide and it's causing blood vessels to constrict and it's causing this major stress response. It's a stressor. So with the biochemistry, you can either relax the body and mind mm -hmm. or you can stress the body and mind. Okay. And then when we look at the biomechanics, it's really about targeting and greater recruitment of the diaphragm. Because the diaphragm breathing muscle, it massages all of the internal organs. It's linked with the emotions. It also provides stabilization for the spine. So 50% of people with lower back pain have dysfunctional breathing. So the diaphragm breathing muscle plays quite a role. And then we look at the autonomic nervous system because as human beings, we want to be in a state of balance. 
we don't want to be tipped in this fight or fight response all day long. That that was the way I was when I was in the corporate world. But when you speak to people in the corporate world, many of them will tell you that they are absolutely overwhelmed with emails, that they can't cope with the volume of workload mm-hmm. that's coming in, the pressure that's coming in. And, you know, working remotely from home has, while it has gave certain privileges, mm-hmm. it has also brought certain disadvantages. And I, you know, I, for example, over the last 20 years in the personal load, the working with the Brett for me personally has been the single best intervention that I have ever brought into my life. To be more creative, to be more intuitive, to, to be able to deal with situations, you know, that you can remain that calm and composed. And I'm saying like, it's not going to be, of course, absolutely perfect, 100%. But it's a hell of a lot better than what it would have been if I didn't have these tools. Absolutely incredible. Patrick McKeown, I could stay chatting to you for hours. And I think already I have so many nuggets of information I'm going to walk away with. And I'm going to check my mouth in the morning to see if it's dry, hot and cold hands. I'm going to actually work on that now to try get the heat and see can I get out of wearing socks to bed. As I mentioned, breathing practitioner and author, Oxygen Advantage and Atomic Focus, to name but a few of the many books. And for those who want to keep up to date with your work, um, where is the best place to get you? There's two websites. One is oxygenadvantage.com and the other is butecoclinic.com. And we have as well a a corporate workshop um, for people with poor attention span, but this is open to everybody. It's free. Amazing. And I think it takes place on the 3rd of February, so I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, Megan. Perfect. I'll be um, that. <laughs> the, the 3rd of February, it's, um, but you'll see it, it's, it's on our Instagram posts. Patrick McGowan, Mardurts, mate, fellow Gaul, Weijan, Gurmila Mimalga for chatting to me on Megan Meets. And as I said, um, I, I look forward to chatting to you further and, of course, seeing more of your work. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you for listening to Megan Meets with me, Megan Scully, in association with Salt Float and Recovery Suites. Get 20% off single therapies at Salt. Enter Meg Meets at the checkout or in store. Check out saltfloatrecovery.com for booking and for more information. And remember, hit subscribe and share the love with friends and family or those who you feel could benefit from the health and wellness topics and methods discussed.